Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our special surprise. Sunday mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips and with me as always, Dr. Ian Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good day, Captain. Mate, uh, Sunday mailbag. Surprise, eh? Very big surprise. <laughs> Super surprise. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yeah, who'd th- that regular surprise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get let's get straight in. We've got a lot of mailbag to get through. Uh, if you want to contact us, well, before I say let's trade on, then I'm going to go off on, a, on an ad. If you want to join us uh, at, and ask one of your questions, have your question answered, have your comment shared, have your criticism completely ignored and trapped. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you can get us on all of the usual socials, but starting with email this time, info at fool.com.au. If you prefer to use the email machine, I never thought I'd think email was old-fashioned, mate, but this is where we are in 2020. You can still use us, use email and get us on info at fool.com.au. You can get us on Twitter. That's the only place you'll find Doc. He's exclusive to Twitter. You should, you should get royalties, mate. You should do a deal with Twitter. To like to be exclusively uh, yeah. only on Twitter, I reckon. I'll, I'll, I'll send an email yeah. to, um, <laughs> to Jack? the Twitter board. Oh, okay. oh, the board, no, okay. Just go to board. Straight to the board, okay. Yeah, why, why go to Jack? Don't muck around, okay. Yeah, and just don't ask for it. To be fair, I think if you're going to do exclusive social yeah. media, you should get paid for it, I reckon. I think so. So here's at Anirban Mahanti. Make sure you follow Doc at Anirban Mahanti. I'm at TMF Scott P, TMF for the Motley Fool, Scott P for Scott Phillips, so TMF Scott P. Or the Motley Fool's account is at the Motley Fool AU. Speaking of those socials and those handles on Instagram, both the Motley Fool and myself are at the same handles at TMF Scott P at the Motley Fool AU. Or if you're on Facebook, send us a direct message. Do they call them direct messages on Facebook? I think they do. I have no idea. Whatever they call them. Whatever it is. <laughs> the Motley Fool Australia is our Facebook page and Scott Phillips Money is my work Facebook page. So you can see what I've got to write there. You can subscribe and follow me. You can also send me a question or a comment um, either on the public comment or on a post or uh, feel free to send me a message or direct message or inbox me or whatever they call it these days. I'm, I'm, I'm very cool, mate. I'm one of the cool kids. Are there, are there direct messages on TikTok? Can you direct message on TikTok? Do you know? I have not. I'm, I'm going to try to find out. There you go. Do we, should we, maybe we should get a Snapchat account. It, it can't be called a direct message. It should be called a tick or a talk. Oh, I like it. Send a tick. Like a tweet, right? Okay, or, yeah. a, or a talk. Should, yeah, that's right, actually. Maybe, maybe the tick should be the, the like the, the video and the talk should be the responses. Maybe that's what it should be. Uh, maybe we should just pattern this idea. You should, you should write to that board. You've got a lot of board writing to do. You've got to write to Twitter. You've got to write to TikTok. Uh, I, I think so. And for this one, I demand at least, what, $10 billion? Seems fair. Yeah, some Works with Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of which, our first question, mate, while we move on, is from... He says, don't use my real name if read on podcast. And he signs off as Life is Good. So let's go with Life is Good. He says, good day, fools. Full on. That's a good way to start, Rod. Um, I have been listening to you guys for a few years and appreciate the tips and advice you both offer as podcast content and as a subscriber to your services. Thank you, mate. Sometimes regretting I never followed it more often. Well, let that be a lesson to you. Follow our advice. You've been told. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, he says, I'm heading towards retirement in the next year or so with a reasonable nest egg. Nice work. He says, but like us all, I feel losing it by mistrust of the government changing things as a money grab and their apprehension to pay a pension unless you are destitute. And he says, the volatility of the share market to not just maintain present savings and investment balances. What I would like to get your perspective on is the impact of Joe Biden on markets as opposed to Donny Trump, his words. And with Biden, um, Biden in, is it going to be a catastrophe as fake or non-fake news predicts? What would be a defensive strategy to start working on now? Um, second question. Let's go to the second question on the second, mate. So, look, we don't do politics, but 
the reality is we a do policy and b sometimes there are impacts on the political landscape that do you know ripple into the investment markets your thoughts on how you're thinking about the u.s presidential election if at all mate and how it impacts your portfolio but also on the behalf of life is good someone's going to retire in a year's time would you be thinking differently yeah, like, I mean, the, the retirement question is interesting, especially depends on what amount of money you want. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, in general, if you want to spend some amount of money in the next year or so, mm-hmm. you would like to have that in cash. Um, or, you know, that, that's that's my way of doing things. But, you know, yeah. there might be different ways of doing things for different people. Maybe you can rely on income. Maybe you can rely on selling things. Again, it, it is a whole whole heap of factors, right? Right, right Depends right. on what your next egg, nest egg is. If your nest egg was a billion dollars, it wouldn't matter if it even became like a half a billion dollars i mean you know you necessarily be spending that kind of money right so uh but it really all depends on the total amount and how how you plan and how much your spending is and things like that so i I don't you know that i think it's best discussed with a financial advisor Mm -hmm. with respect to the election here's the thing the the problem with with any election positioning based on any election forecast or prediction Mm -hmm. is you really can't know so, like, I mean, I think the best example I can think of is the 2016 yeah, U.S. Right. elections, right? I mean, for all intents and purposes, all betting sites, all not the betting sites, but the prediction sites, and yep. and, and places where you can actually make a, you know, play and play along with some side money to yeah. see who's going to win. The money was on Hillary Clinton winning, uh, yes. and and <laughs> when the results started coming in, I mean, the market went down swiftly. Yeah, it did. It did. But then it came back up yep. swiftly, right? Yes. I mean, it's again, it's really hard to know what people in aggregate are going to do yeah. because the result was expected or unexpected or whatever it is. That's yeah. that's what, uh, so that that's the other thing is it's really difficult to tell at a high level whether or not there are mm. going to be huge big policy changes that impact companies. Yeah. Like I mean, I mean, there there are policy changes. So there's tariff wars that yeah. impact companies in different ways. But it's very difficult, I think, to tease out exactly what the medium term mm-hmm. impact is and what yep. the long term impact is, yep. right? And 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 then and whatever the circumstances, I think the good companies always figure out ways to do business because good companies have good products or services that people want, mm. people need. Mm. Um, I mean, you can ban them. Uh, I mean, different governments could do that. They could ban, you know, good products and services. But, I mean, that's unlikely to happen in most places. Um, so, there's always landscape changes that companies need to mm-hmm. navigate. So, I don't know. I don't think too much of what can happen i've i've read speculation that you know taxes on companies may go up there mm. might be more focus on uh, international tax laws if biden wins um maybe the trade war would get un- unwound um and things like that mm. um on the flip side if trump wins you could expect more you know taxes to be relatively low i mean these are these are well known sort of you know republican versus democrat uh sort of positionings mm. and it's again I, it's very hard to yeah make decisions so my, mm. you know my decision is really based on i look at the company look at what the company is doing mm. and use that sort of as a guideline to uh, 
to decide my investment decisions. I think that's right. Look, uh, life is good. I, I actually get the concern, right? Like you're sitting on a decent nest egg, he said. Um, you can imagine a scenario where he's thinking, well, hang on, on, on November 25th or whatever, you know, some, some date past the election, I might have four-fifths of that or something like that. And he's like, well, geez, hang on. Should I do something now to make sure that doesn't happen? Um, I will give you a, a more specific. So, Doc, you, you saw my thunder. The, the Trump election was exactly the right analogy, right? A, he wasn't going to win. B, he was going to be terrible. Then he wins and the market goes down and then realizes literally within a single trading day. So the Australian market was open uh, while the, the election was happening, the results coming out. And the market dived that morning by the afternoon, finished up. And US futures did the same. And then the first day after the Trump election, the, the markets were up really strongly. Uh, because, you know, it takes people a while to digest the news and, and work out what the impacts are. I will say, by the way, also during the Obama years, it was supposed to be a wonderful time for solar companies. A couple went broke and the rest of them didn't make much money. And so even if you get the theme of the presidency right, i.e. in Obama's case, renewable energy, um, didn't work out. Now, on the flip side, Donald Trump has been, I think it's fair to say, unquestionably good for share prices. Um, and I think that's largely in this case because of some policy settings. And I do think some of those policy settings may be unwound. A Biden presidency, Joe Biden said he would put corporate taxes back up, for example, after Trump brought them down. That will literally mean less money in profit for some of those companies after tax. Um, that will hurt profits in the short term. And that's something you can't escape from. The share prices may well react to that, quite honestly. I think life is good. The thing is, if you're going to, here's my general thing about retirement, right? People see retirement as a drop dead date. It's probably bad. Probably bad. I don't mean as a pun, by the way. But it's like this date, right? That you got you've got money before retirement and then after retirement, and then there's kind of this this switch that gets flicked between zero and one or one and zero between working and retirement. The problem is that if you're in decent health, you're probably going to live for another twenty or thirty years after retirement. That the stats are pretty strong on that. That means that, frankly, like whatever happens to your nest egg during either a second Trump term or a first Biden term, is going to be something like. 15, 20% of the remainder of your life. And so it kind of doesn't matter. And Doc, you made the point about being long-term with your investing. I think that's it, right? So um, life is good. Share prices will fluctuate. They do. And frankly, you know, we're worried about the, 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 the presidency. We should have been worried about COVID except no one saw it coming. And yet we had to live through that. Had you been retired at the end of last year rather the end of this year or whenever it is you're going to retire next, um, the whole thing would have changed dramatically. And you would have gone through a 35%-ish loss. If you'd retired with a million bucks, you would have had 650 grand at some point during March. Now, I want that to freak you out, not because I think it's going to happen, but because I want you to think about that. Because the reality is that A, that was the case. B, most of that money has already come back. So, you know, the, the, the fear, the loss, the disgust, the upset, the worry you would have felt has gone away. But it, it will happen again. There will be another 35% fall in the market during your lifetime. I can almost guarantee it. I can't exactly guarantee it, but it's pretty close because these things happen every, what, 35% fall lock every 10, 15 years probably on average, I guess. He's nodding That's away. correct. So, you know, the reality is if you live for 30 years, you're probably going to see another two of those. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe three, maybe one, who knows. But you need to kind of factor that in. So, you don't, if you're retiring, I don't want you to think about retirement as stability of share prices. Because there is no way in the world you can remain invested in shares and have a stable share price outcome in that environment. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And if you're expecting that, you're setting yourself for bad news and you're probably going to make a bad decision at that point because you're going to freak out like, oh my God, there's no more money coming in. I've only got this much money left. I better sell everything or I better get out or I better do something. And you'll probably do it at the very worst time. So you're right to think about it now. I love the fact you're thinking about it because you're getting yourself the chance to set, set yourself up mentally for what the future is going to hold. So that's really, really great. In terms of an election... I think that's the other thing, right? You've got to think about the 30-year view and whichever president you prefer, whichever you think, whoever you think is better or worse for the economy or for companies or for tax rates or for whatever, this will be the first four years in the next 30. 
And I really wouldn't. I've never taken a view on presidency. In fact, I will say, by the way, I know of one prominent journalist who said that they were going to sell, put half their portfolio in cash uh, on, on the basis that Donald Trump might win. That was a fundamentally terrible idea in the event. Now, it could have gone the other way. That's the thing we just can't know. And so that person who said, I'm going to go to cash because I'm worried, actually cost themselves a fortune um, because they tried to time the market, time what was going to happen with presidencies. And as I've already said, President Obama was supposed to be great for solar, didn't work. These things have a terrible, terrible way of working out because it's different different factors. I do think Biden will be higher tax. I do think there will be less money after tax. Um, whether that's a more sustainable economic broader picture, I've, I've said for the longest time. Um, for example, um, you know, you want to you want to have an economy that has a great long-term prospect, not one that has lower or higher taxes today or tomorrow. So whichever party you agree with, whatever tax rate you agree with, whether rates are, tax rates are higher or lower today or tomorrow or next year, it's only it's a tiny part of the story, right? We're all investing for the long term. Some of the docs investments, some of mine have 10, 15, 20 year kind of horizons. I care about how good the economy is in 20 years, not what my tax rate is today. The same as I care about what the companies are doing in 20 years, not how good the next quarter is. It's exactly the same kind of approach. So I really, really would encourage you not to try to time this. You've got to know that, and by the way, share prices are going to be volatile. If you're trying to already protect yourself from volatility, I really seriously think about how you're going to deal with other other unexpected volatility from other areas you don't see coming. They're not going to be any less painful because you don't see them coming. In fact, they're probably going to be more painful. You need to know you can see that through. And to Doc's point at the very beginning, having some cash to cushion you, unless you can live on the income, is probably the way to go. Any more thoughts on that, Doc? No, sir. I think it's very comprehensive. Now, the second part of the question was, he says, um, secondly, on your full site, I came across a service that predicts that with a million dollars, it can provide $60,000 a year income if followed precisely. I'm really interested as to how that works and if there is anywhere I can see a performance review of the same service. I currently have some money in an SMSF by an investment service at approximately 120 bucks a trade, or which also provides backup service and portfolio management and review. I also have a small high growth, high risk portfolio that I speculate with. So I'm wondering if I can discipline myself to do the same and save costs if I were to change. I look forward to your points of view. Um, so I will, I will share very clearly, there's not supposed to be an ad, but given the question was asked, we have a service called Motley Fool Everlasting Income. Now, we don't predict anything and we don't promise anything, but we aim to do things. And that's, I don't mean to sound, that sound like weasel words, but I want to be really, really clear. We offer no guarantees, A, because it would be um, irresponsible to do so, and B, it would be illegal to do so. So we do neither of those things. And I don't say that, as I said, to, to weasel out of it. I just want to be really, really clear. Motley Fool Everlasting Income aims to pay about 40 grand a year on a million dollar portfolio plus franking credits is roughly what we intend to do over time. Um, depends, you know, franking changes and dividends certainly have changed this year. They've been all over the place, but that's the aim. We started, so with a, with a hypothetical million dollar portfolio, we aim to pay out 4% plus franking credits, which gives us more than enough cushioning for um, for, for changes in share prices, um, for movements in, in assets, and, and frankly, changes in dividends as well. We keep a, a cash position as part of that to make sure we've always got cash to pay out that dividend. Again, we can't promise anything, but that's the aim. Um, I've said in our marketing, I, I run the service, as I said, this is my mother-in-law is following this strategy with me. So trust me, I really have honestly skid in the game. Um, if that if that doesn't focus the mind, nothing will. Uh, so we, we started with a million dollars. I will share that, and this is no, again, past performance, no guarantee. We've turned the million dollars into 1.087. In other words, one point, almost $1.1 million worth of portfolio. And you say, well, 10% gain, That what's that? Well, the portfolio has gone up, but we've also paid out during that time $136,666 in dividends or in, inco- in income, I should say. 
Um, the portfolio has received 150 grand worth of dividends in that time, and we've earned franking credits of 45 grand. So those are all a bit kind of out there, and I don't want to. I don't want to. These are more than one years worth of numbers, so I don't don't want you to annualize those. But effectively, what we've been able to do is we've taken a million dollars, we've paid out 136 grand. Um, and we've grown the portfolio at the same time, plus we've generated 45 grand in franking credits. So that's what we're aiming to keep doing. It's an income first portfolio. It's the only portfolio at The Motley Fool in Australia that doesn't aim to beat the market. We aim to provide high quality, regular, reliable income. And as I said, we use that cash buffer. Uh, for example, this year, we've received less income than we thought we would, but the obviously because of COVID, but the cash buffer is doing an absolutely great job of letting us pay every single month. We pay out $3,333. If you do the maths, that's 4%, 40 grand over, over 12 months. Um, two, it, we actually run this as a real money portfolio. The literally is a million dollars of the Motley Fool's money went into this. And every month, the CFO gets three grand back as well as we're growing the portfolio and helping our members do the same thing. So yes, that's what I mean to do. No predictions, no promises, but that's the intention. You simply buy when we buy, sell when we sell. And of course, members always go first. Our aim is to beat the market, as I said, with a 4% yield plus franking credits. If we get more than that, then great. In fact, um, as I said, we've earned more in dividends we've paid out. We try to be conservative, but realistic. So we, we want our members to be able to rely on that income to be steady, regardless of the economic and share market circumstances. And to your very, very point, life is good. The portfolio, I don't actually know how far it got down, man. It might be 800 grand, I think, maybe during the worst time during um, during March. So, you know, we abs- this has absolutely been a volatile asset value portfolio, but the income just kept getting paid every single month, $3,333 a month, every single month, regardless of the dividends we receive, regardless of the sh- share price. And that's how we need to think about it in retirement. At least one way to think about it in retirement. It's how we're running everlasting income. So that's, that's not supposed to be an ad, but to give you an answer, that's one way to do it. Certainly the way my mother-in-law is doing it, following following the portfolio, um, it's, it's, it's built that way to provide everlasting income in theory. We hope to never have to sell a single share to pay that dividend. We hope to increase that, that income over time and we hope to make it a reliable income flow regardless of the market or the economy. Any thoughts on that, Doc? Oh, no. Beautiful. Let's move on. Question from Raul. Raul? Raul? R-A-U-L. Raul? I'll stick with what you were saying. <laughs> you threw me under a bus. Thank you, mate. He says, hi, Scott and Doc. Love the podcast and can't wait for the weekends to plug in and listen. Thank you, mate. I have seen Superhero is a new brokerage offering $5 trades. Oh, man, this is going to cause friction. I am a buy and hold person, but also want to be savvy in my costs. Do you see any risks slash issues slash restrictions with Superhero? And how would you then manage dealing with multiple brokerages? Is my other brokerage in Australia is Comsec. Thanks and keep up the good work. Regards, Raul. Raul. He also says, I would love to hear an episode that talks about real estate planning and transfer of assets upon death. Yes, this is best dealt with each personal situation. However, it's best to be educated in the space prior to seeing a professional. We're not experts, mate. We might try and do that. If we can find a decent expert who we, who we like and know and trust, we might just do that. So no promises. Um, I can imagine we might. We don't really know anyone, do we, mate? Oh, we can see if we find someone. Let's see if we can find someone. <laughs> I, it's a good topic. It's certainly one that people, plenty of people, want to know about. It's certainly something I'm interested in. So we'll 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 have a we'll put that on the on the to do list, mate. Thank you, Doc Superhero. I have a feeling, given our past conversations about brokerage, you and I might have a slightly different view on this one. But uh, I'll let you go first because I'm a nice bloke. Your thoughts on Superhero as a alternative brokerage in Australia to something like Comsec or IG or Naptrade? Well, like I mean. I, I don't know anything specific about this. Just looking at the facts here, uh, about uh, specific about this particular offering. So I don't know. You know, I, I'm in the camp that I think 
brokerage should be cheap or non-existent because it really doesn't cost um, the banks or whoever is offering the service a lot of, you know, it doesn't cost them a lot <laughs> yeah, to right. actually provide it. So it's, it feels to me like cheating that, you know, I'm basically <laughs> paying for a very um, basic rudimentary service, a lot of money, uh, and I just... I just dislike paying a lot of money for stuff that I shouldn't have to. It's not like a branded thing, yeah. right? Uh, so that, that's my feeling about this. I I don't really know much about Superhero specific, uh, specifically how it works. Mm. What's the thing? And you know, like I I I know that you know, there's this argument about chess and things like that. Mm. Um, my, my whole argument there is that you know chess, in my view, is we're the only place that have chess. Mm. Really, that doesn't mean chess is good in fact in my mind it almost means that chess is probably not necessary those are fighting words yeah dude. so uh, chess is in my <laughs> mind completely not necessary the largest market in the world does not have anything like chess so maybe we've just invented the wrong elephant uh, um, and just created some jobs for people that you know basically does not need to exist <laughs> um, you know, so may, may, maybe there needs to be a rethink about you know get rid of chess and maybe you should have some insurance policies um, and schemes in place and maybe better regulation instead of having this chess thing. So that's my view. Um, I might be in the minority, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, like, and I don't really know much about superhero to say anything specific about superhero. Yeah, I say I got a I got a request actually on LinkedIn, which I'm I'm overdue on replying. So superhero CEO, I can't remember your name. If you're listening to this, I my apologies. I have to get back to you. Oh, he did reach out to me and I want to chat about it. It may have been because I tweeted about it. I'm not sure, <laughs> but in any case, I'm happy to chat about anything. Um, I will give my current view on superhero and always reserve the right to change my mind. Um, I look, I actually completely agree with Doc. I think I think you know we don't want to pay anybody profit that doesn't need to be paid right it's, it's costing us money you don't you don't want to pay anything you don't want to pay whether that's paying too high interest rate too high in brokerage you know the get a better rate idea or get a better price idea should govern everything there's no point paying more than you have to for anything um, so i completely agree with that i have two issues with or two concerns with these new low lower cost low brokerage businesses um the first uh, doc i take a different view to you on chess although not not necessarily in in the sense that i am uh, I, don't, I don't love chess for its own sake. I do think for what it's worth, by the way, chess is actually a, a kind of quasi forerunner to, to blockchain. You know, it's not a blockchain in the sense that it's not, it's not a distributed ledger, but the idea of that there is a there is a an ownership uh, record for everyone who owns shares feels like a bit of a back to the future idea that, you know, the idea you can say, this is, these are unquestionably my shares, you can't tell me they're not. It's kind of a nice way to hold, you know. We, same with land titles office, right? You don't you don't own a block of land, hoping that someone somewhere will say, "Yeah, no, he definitely owns that bit of land." You've got an actual title. Chess gives you that same title they don't have overseas. So I like the idea of a specific regulatory kind of ledger or, or, or kind of record. Now, whether whether it's better or worse than overseas is, is kind of a moot point for me. What I would say is that it's fine to say that maybe insurance like they have in the US is better than chess. The concern I would have is if you're not chess registered here, there is no there's no alternative insurance either, right? So it's almost the worst of both worlds. If you have a non-chess sponsored um, holding in Australia, you're not covered by an insurance scheme like you would be in the US. The US don't have chess, but they have SIPIC and the FID, FDIC. Um, CIPIC, Securities Institute, oh, I can't remember, anyway. They're, they're insurance schemes and regulatory schemes that are basically designed, there's pools of cash that if a broker goes broke, you'll get your money back. In Australia, if you're not chess registered and your broker goes broke, 
there is no kind of third party recourse like an insurance scheme or anything else here. So if you know, uh, you know, if there if that was the alternative to chess, we might have a conversation. I think in the absence of of either choose, choosing neither of those is is the worst of all three worlds, if you like. Um, if I can choose to be insured or chess or nothing. Nothing seems to me the, the the absolute least best option, the worst option straight out. So um, I actually agree with you in terms of brokerage. I agree with you in terms of the potential that other options are better. And I certainly am really happy to own US shares, by the way, um, that are insured rather than chess sponsored. But I wouldn't want to be in a situation where I had neither of those protections. And that is my concern. Now, Superhero currently claims that it has a single holder identification number. So on chess... Your record in chess is a unique number. It's called a holder identification number. I own my shares in I don't know, corporate travel I've talked about before, so I'll mention that now. Um, and I have a holder identification number. It's a, it's a nine-digit number, something like that, Doc. Um, and that's my number, and that number owns those shares. And that is, you know, if anything happens to my broker, I can go to to the company and say, these are my shares. And the company says, yep, we know that. That's, that's chess. It's a third party. It's registered. If I was in the US, I could just simply say, hey, I've got a piece of paper and I'm insured. You've got to pay me out. And they would. If you're not chess sponsored though, um, or if they have a single hin that, that Superhero offers, they say that hin covers it all, and everyone everyone who owns corporate travel through Superhero is all registered on the same holder identification number. So if Doc had some, and I had some, and you, dear listener, had some, all of our shares in aggregate would be under that hin. And if anything happened to Superhero, we in theory somehow could say, well, the hin exists, the chess sponsorship exists, therefore the shares are somewhere, and therefore we should be able to get our share of them. That sounds kind of reasonable-ish. But I'm not entirely sure if there was a problem, for example, if there were, that hen didn't have those shares registered or if there was some dispute about how those shares would be allocated. The fact that we all had this communal hen isn't as safe in my mind as using someone like, well, I, won't, I use Comsec for what it's worth, but I don't care who it is, no matter. Comsec, Nabtrade, anyone who's chess sponsored um, under my own individual name rather than some communal name where we all share a hen. Um, I get it. I understand why they're doing it to keep costs down. I, I have no beef with that idea. I gotta say, like, if you've got a five, six figure portfolio and you wanna save five, 10 bucks a trade and take the risk on the hin, I personally wouldn't. I'm not going to. Um, not saying Superhero is terrible. I'm just like, for me, if I gotta pay 20 bucks a trade through Comsec rather than five bucks through Superhero, that 15 bucks really annoys me. But am I gonna, am I gonna, you know, am I gonna jeopardize my six figure portfolio to save 10 bucks? No, not a snowflake chance in hell. Uh, because maybe nothing goes wrong, but if it does, man, I'll rue that 15 bucks I saved. Uh, so it's a really easy thing for me. It's just risk management. And it's, a, you know, it's not insurance, as Doc says, but it's kind of, you know, for me, it's an insurance policy. I'll pay the extra brokerage as premium to have access to chess personally in the absence of any alternative. So again, I don't, I don't want to bag Superhero. I haven't looked into it deeply enough, but it seems less protected, less sure. And I just don't need to take that risk. If I had a smaller starting portfolio, maybe I might actually. And, and once it got to a certain size, then I might transition it to something else. Um, but I'd be a little bit a little bit careful. The other thing is for now, at least, you can't also transfer your shares into Superhero without selling them. You have to use cash. And I don't actually know whether you can get shares out of Superhero. I'd hate to have to change brokers. So the moment if I go from Comsec to Nabtrade, for example, I just transfer my shares and there's no capital gains tax event. With Superhero, I don't know this for a fact, but if you can't transfer your shares out, you've got to sell them. You've got to create a capital gains tax event to get your money and then reinvest in the same shares. That would be massively, massively, massively tax ineffective, and I, again, I, I it just that, that would destroy so much more value than the brokerage you might save. So, I get what they're doing. I don't want to cast too many aspersions or make too many absolute judgments because it's still a work in progress. And maybe Superhero in five years' time is the best option out there. For me, there's just too many drawbacks to, you know, to, I don't, I don't want to nickel and dime this. I don't, I don't want to be pound foolish um, to save a few bucks. So that, that's my, that's my general thought. Doc, any, any right of reply? No, I have nothing to say. 
value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, let's move on to a question from Lewis. Lewis says, hi, Scott and Doc. Long time listener, first time caller. That's, that harks back to the old talkback days, which I love, Lewis, except you're only 31, dude. You shouldn't know that. Um, back in the good old days, maybe, maybe you're a talkback kind of guy. Back in the good old days, uh, I was listening to, uh, remember, the, remember the Stan Zamanics and the uh, Ian Perry Oaktons and the, I'm trying to think of the old guys. Howard, someone, Andrew Howard. There you go, Sean Mage, if you're, if you're in Sydney. He says, as a new and relatively young investor, he's 31, I love the podcast and all the insights and ideas I gain from you too. Thank you, mate. Thanks for your, all your time and effort. It always helps me get through a long week and increases my knowledge of investing. Thank you, Lewis. Very kind. I have a question that is probably rather relevant for the special mailbag right now. He's coming to the right place, Doc. I'm looking into Webjet. And Flight Center, we talked about Flight Center before. Both seem to be strong companies with tough times ahead, but I believe both are well enough positioned to survive and thrive in the future. I'm thinking of investing half my allocations to the sector evenly in both companies. However, what concerns me with Webjet is the share dilution over the past 10 years. Now, he then says, according to Comsec, outstanding shares have risen as follows. I'm not going to read those out. <laughs> but it starts with 109 million in 2011. It ends with 338 million in 2020. So that's a good, uh, well, almost a, almost a straight tripling in the space of 10 years. Considering my plan would be to hold Webjet for 10 plus years, the shares have been diluted by over 200% in the last decade. I know Webjet has a great return on invested capital, but is this something I should be concerned about? I know they're using the money very effectively to grow, but if they keep up these rates of dilution, I hold the shares for 20 years, am I going to become so diluted it's better to look elsewhere? He says, Scott, I know you own Webjet, so I'd be really interested in your thoughts in furthering my knowledge and how you would assess these situations. Again, I really love what you two do for the investing community, as there are a lot of rubbish out there, there certainly is, with people just trying to make money from less knowledgeable people like myself. Full on, cheers, Lewis. Thanks, Lewis. It's a very thoughtful note, mate. A really good question. Doc, I do own Webjet, but I will throw it to you first. Given they've diluted effectively three for one over nine years, should that scare Lewis away? Absolutely. Oh. Run, run for the hill. Look <laughs> out. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> actually, in my view, a company that dilutes like that, <clears throat> you know, is, is can be problematic. Largely because it's really boring. It's living on, you know, essentially it's living on a constant equity supply, um, you know, let me put it this way. Another way to think about it is that both, in my mind, both had had Webjet and Flight Center not been listed on the ASX, they would have both gone bankrupt, effectively, in during coronavirus. Um, now, for no fault of theirs, but they would have gone bankrupt because they had debt, uh, they had mm. no income coming in, no revenues coming in, and... <clears throat> It's it's one of those funny situations where you have people who are invested already. Then mm. you know, and and they basically say, "Well, your choices are: give <laughs> us some more money now, um, and then we'll see if we can survive, or uh, or we're going to go bankrupt." <laughs> so, you know, and that's when I say you know, the question is being posed, and I'm I'm being rhetorical, and and and, and I'm, I'm maybe taking some poetic license here, but that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Yeah, uh, because. Fund managers who have <laughs> positions in the company, well, oh, this is going to be a complete write-off and it's going to be zero dollars if we let it go bankrupt. So we have to throw some money, mm. and and you know, fund managers, superannuation, and it's this is the in many ways the the cycle of money at work. These are the type of companies that you know I think 
are best avoided. And now, you know, I've made the mistake of recommending uh, Webjet in uh, Extreme Opportunities. We sold it uh, at a big loss. Um, and and again, I think I looked at, I ignored the dilution effects, and I looked at all the other wonderful things that you know we can talk about. Mm. You know, you know, the Webbeds business and growth and things like that. But you know, I, I think I took a lesson here. For me, the lesson was if there are certain types of businesses where dilution is okay mm. at a regular pace. There are certain types of businesses where dilution at a pretty rapid pace is not okay. And and I, I think the way I have started viewing this is it's okay if you're in a highly innovative uh, new arena where mm. the market opportunity is expanding. But, you know, like, I mean, Webjet slightly better uh, better position than in my view than Flight Center, but uh, mm. but still, like I mean, is online travel really a new gen idea? <laughs> like I mean, you know, there's Expedia, there's like you know Booking dot com, um, there's so many others that exist. So it's it's really a highly competitive area, right? Mm. So that's that's that. So that is, this is again the general thought: dilution is something that one needs to be very careful about. Mm. Number two, I'll say is. I think the shape of travel is guaranteed to have completely changed. The other thing is that the longer this continues like this, the longer we don't travel, longer businesses don't travel long, I think a lot of business travel is actually going to disappear. Uh, it's not coming back because people have just figured out that too many of those things are just not necessary. Um, and I, I think some of these things can be really permanent and changing and dynamic. And and therefore, I think there's going to be big impacts of those factors. Now, it's mm. probably not a big deal for maybe Webjet, Webjet, and um, or at least a lesser deal, I think, for Webjet and Flight Center because given their focus on uh, uh, on consumers. So uh, those are my thoughts. I think, yeah, uh, I mean, that's what I think about them. Interesting, mate. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you almost entirely. Well, actually, I'm going to I agree with you. So I think... Companies that dilute regularly are absolutely businesses you should be scared of. So, uh, at least as a general rule, if you think about the likes of like mining um, speculators or biotech hopefuls that just dilute and dilute and dilute, sometimes tenfold, um, they are absolutely wealth destroyers. Very, very hard to make money over a long period of time if they're doing that. I think Webjet and Flight Center, it's hard to kind of draw a line through those because of the last 12 months, quite frankly. If we're having this conversation in January 2020, it's a very different conversation than in April 2020 and then maybe even different again in September, having been through the worst, hopefully, touch wood of COVID. So, look, you, you asked the right question about, Lewis, about, about share price, uh, about share dilution. Let me, let me take you to the end of 2019 first, though, because between 2011, they had 108 million shares. By 2019, there's 186 million shares. Now, that's still a decent dilution, right? It's almost two for one. The thing is, earnings per share went from $0.10 cents to $0.35 cents during that time, even despite the dilution. So you've got a three-and-a-half-fold increase in profit over 10 years. I take that every day and twice on Sundays. The question really is, is the dilution being used effectively for the right purposes and are they getting good value by doing it? In other words, could they have grown without it or you know, is the money they spent costing them or helping them? In Webjet's case, I think it's really, really hard to argue. And we'll get to 2020 in a minute because it's a, it's a very worthwhile conversation, as Doc mentions. But over that period of time, for that first nine years of those 10-year periods, they've used that money really intelligently to buy growth businesses and their results were really, really great. And so, you know, yes, you want to be careful. You always want to look at all the financials on a per share basis, by the way. Never look at a company that says, hey, we just doubled profits. So, well, if you increase share count threefold, then you're going backwards, right? But if you can increase 
earnings per share to you know double. It doesn't really matter how many shares you've got on issue, um, as long as they're issuing those new shares and actually creating value by doing it. So I would I would say that you always want to be careful of any company that's issuing a lot of shares to make sure they're doing it in a value accretive way. Now, for all of that said, the last year, as Doc rightly mentioned, was an absolute debacle because they had to almost double their share count from 186 million shares to 340 million shares just to stay afloat. And so that throws the whole analysis of the previous nine years straight out the window. Um, there are circumstances where <coughs> excuse me, they had bills to pay, they had costs to pay, and they had zero revenue. So what else do you do? Now, Doc would make the point. I think it's a little harsh. Right, actually, I'll put words in your mouth, Doc. I'll, I'll say what I think you're going to say. You can correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong. Um, you know, maybe they should have had more money in the bank. Maybe they should have expected something like this. I don't know what anyone did. I, I, I certainly won't blame them. I wasn't saying, you know, in January or December last year, hey, every company should have more cash in its books just in case something terrible happens. It's a one-off, once-in-a-century pandemic. Um, I think it's a bit harsh for me to personally say that a company's done the wrong thing by not doing that either. If I didn't see the risk, um, it's a bit too easy for me to say, well, they should have seen it, therefore they've done a terrible thing. Now, in hindsight, of course, if they had the cash, it would have been much better off. Um, and the dilution is going to hurt from for, for current shareholders from that point Forward. If you if you own shares twelve months ago, I certainly owned them before the dilution, so I'm down as well. Um, that that absolutely hurts, and we're probably not going to make well, you're not going to make all of that back just because of anything. Once you've diluted, your dilution is permanent, right? You can't you can't undo the dilution, even if profits grow. You still got to do it on twice as many shares. That that's to me that's water under the bridge. The question is that was obviously you know one of those things that happens, and again you can mark management down for not being prepared for it. But the question is if the previous nine years suggest they they allocate capital adequately. From this point forward, the only question is, how many shares do they have? How much profit can they make? And is that an attractive proposition at today's share price? Now, I will say at ShareAdvisor, it's a hold for us. The entire travel sector is. We haven't yet made a view as to whether we should put it back to buy or go to sell. And sometimes, to Doc's point, you know, the future of travel is really up in the air right now. We don't yet know how it goes. Um, I'm not running away from it. I do own the shares still myself. I think we've just got a very good chance of being a good returner from here. Now, if I went back to you know 2019, I could have sold that in January. I would have done that. Um, but you know, would I be happy if I bought shares today at today's price? Probably, yeah. I think it's a decent chance of making money, even if it dilutes further, as long as that further dilution is done in a way that actually creates value. If I can, if they can spend a dollar and make two, then they can spend as many dollars as they want. If they have to issue shares to do that, then they're adding, they're creating value, right? If they take a dollar of equity and turn it two dollars a profit, well, they could, they could and should keep doing that forever. In fact, it'd be arguably irresponsible of them not to dilute if that was the only option to generate that sort of value creation. So I think it's, as always, it's not what you've done or how much you've got or how much you haven't got, it's what you do, you know, the return you get for the actions you take, whether it's more debt, whether it's more shares outstanding. You know, If they issued no shares but profit had halved, would that be better or worse? Well, arguably or almost inarguably, it'd be worse. The question is really, you know, what have they done and have they justified their actions, including dilution, with the profit they've made by doing so? I have a feeling you've got a rebuttal, Doc. Do you want to? I do have a very strong, strong <laughs> rebuttal. Um, so, you know, again, there's maybe investing philosophy differences in, in you know, um, but here's my here's my thing. I think companies, there's, you know, so two, as I said, two classes of companies. There's a class of companies which is mm. basically uh, doing what I call the, the public-private or a multiple arbitrage game. Mm-hmm. And what by what that I mean is that, you know, share price is high, mm-hmm. um, then you use your shares to buy other businesses and then you pad that into your earnings. Your earnings goes up, mm-hmm. right? Now, that works when your business is small. This is a very favorite game of many ASX CEOs. It's actually <laughs> it's a common game on the ASX. This works, works, works until mm-hmm. it does not work right. because you can't buy. 
right? Um, so I, I really have mixed feelings about it. And, 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 and when this game is being played, and I'm just not specific to uh, Webjet, mm. uh, when this game is being played, there's this very, like, you know, like on the knife's edge management mm. of, of cash. So this is really... It's like really having a mom and pop store that's growing at like, you know, buying other mom and pop stores because they're trading in the market. Yeah. Right. I have just decided personally, that's a game I am not going to play. Yeah. Right. And I, I want to give you a counter example because, you know, he gave share count example. Mm. This is what happens when you have business that's not run well. Right. Mm. Your share count balloons. Yeah. Now, the pandemic was the pandemic is the pandemic. It's happened to other travel companies. I'm going to use Booking.com, I think the gold standard of um, um, of travel, mm. uh, online travel and as a, as a site. Uh, for those who are not familiar, this is listed uh, in the New York Stock Exchange, I think. It's, it's, it's a significantly larger company, okay? Mm-hmm. 2011, uh, it had, and again, this is, I don't know how many, the share count is in billions or millions or whatever, but let's call <laughs> in units. The, they had 49.8 units of shares listed in 2011 yeah okay today they have 40.9 units of shares they actually have less shares listed right right? how did they do that because they did absolutely top-notch world-class cash management right right they bought back shares and these this company did not have to dilute did not have to kill its shareholder base they basically could go to the market and borrow some funds Right, so I, I think this is this is you know I, I think this is I think a question of I think we can find growth, mm. but uh, and I think this is seductive growth where this growth is being uh, purchased from you know addition of companies. This is mm. again a common mm. thing, mm. but I think it's better to have growth that is coming via at least in my mind via some technology acquisition which is going to drive you know your org, org, or your product growth or via um you know something that's small and bolt on mm. right uh, or by some means that is actually going to deliver you organic growth I, I think that those are sort of in my view much higher quality um approaches to growing mm. versus sort of you know uh, this constant printing press method um of you know adding basically adding income along the way mm. so I, i'm being I, i'm being highly cynical cynical here <laughs> and 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 you know of course one you know, the counter example would be well this was all fine until but yeah. you know like yeah. a lot of stuff is fine until right and if you if you held booking.com versus mm. webjet mm. You'd be you'd be you'd be unhappy holding mm. Booking.com shares have fallen. Yeah, but you I I could almost put my hand on stone or on whatever else you want me to put and say that <laughs> ho- you could hold this company for the next ten years right. and you'll be just fine right. because they have done absolutely world class management. Right. Right of cash and balance sheet and investors and whatnot. So I mean I think that's something to consider. Um, so yeah, personally, uh, I, I'm just become you know this. If <laughs> maybe I'm taking the wrong lesson here, but mm-hmm. I have just become very careful about companies which you know what are they doing with the dilution and, yeah. and really dilution raises red flags for me yeah. uh, right now. Yeah, I think that's true. I think you know I think we do disagree at some level, mate. But I think it's I think it's. To my mind, partly, or maybe maybe even predominantly, um, a case of you know what the money is used for, and I think the other thing is, is shareholder expectation, right? Like I think what's unspoken to your point, maybe from if, if I'm actually putting words in your mouth again, tell me. But I think kind of you know the point of like you're right, the, the multiple arbitrage in the hope of pushing share prices higher, and we've certainly seen roll up businesses have their share prices get out of control chasing that idea, and I think there's there's probably in my mind at least a difference between. The, the, what the share price or the, the the market expects those businesses to keep doing and the kind of 
if you can get on that treadmill, if, if my share price didn't move, but I kept buying businesses for half my current multiple, there's nothing kind of inherently wrong with that as long as we know it's volatile and sometimes doesn't work and sometimes the you know the, the opportunities aren't there. It's not necessarily a bad strategy. If I can if I can every now and again spend a dollar and get two back from what in whatever purpose, there's no necessarily there's nothing necessarily bad about that. There's there's nothing unreasonable or, or, or wrong about it, just that you shouldn't allow expect it to always keep happening. I think where the, the roll ups have been burnt is actually not so much even the businesses themselves as the the investors who kind of expected it would keep going forever and ever. Now some management have frankly bought into that and, and created problems for themselves by by promising that kind of stuff. Um, but if you can if you can do that successfully, you only run into problems if you put yourself in a position where you feel like you have to or you expect investors expect you to keep doing it or the share price gets too high because they extrapolate that too far. That's where that can kind of come a cropper, right? If if you and I go and buy a house for half price, we would. If we can then sell it for or you know have it valued, at a, if you buy a million dollar house for half a million dollars, then in six months time was valued a million bucks, we wouldn't say, well, don't do it because you might be able to do it next year. You'd say, well, there's value there, go and do it. But if investors expect that, if the share price starts to factor in that to go forever and that becomes a core part of it, the only way you grow, um, then again, it's part of that expectation piece. And, and management do have a responsibility, I think, to get that right and communicate that clearly. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that's uh, that's I think that's that's uh, that's one hundred percent correct. And and I think you're right. If there is, so I, I think maybe another way to, way to say what I was saying is that roll ups I think work at a certain size and if done well, yeah, right. Yeah. The the only other thing I'm saying is I am not willing to give any company a pass because coronavirus happened, and you know therefore mm. I should give them a pass mm. because. For a travel company that had to dilute, I can find another travel company that did not have to dilute. Yeah. yeah right. So I, I think you know there's examples of. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 Sure, so sure. there's there's no way a company yeah. is scoring yeah. a pass yeah. from me just because yeah. you know coronavirus happened and that's okay. Yeah. Well, you know <laughs> stuff happens, right? <laughs> stuff happens, yeah, yeah. and you need to be prepared for that stuff happens. You can't just say stuff happened and yeah. therefore I'm going to okay. Well, it's okay. It's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, you, you know, uh, yeah. I think maybe there's a lesson here. They, all the travel companies that have diluted, maybe they can sign up for uh, uh, management lessons from Booking.com. That's that's my recommendation. <laughs> when they sign up, I expect Booking.com <laughs> to actually pay me uh, for making the recommendation. But you know, like y- y- in my mind, now. it's it's Booking.com is a fantastic example of a travel company that has generated multi-bagger returns <laughs> and has actually reduced its its share count. Like, how does that happen, yeah, right? Yeah. So you know, that's the gold standard. Just something funny, mate. Actually, despite Webjet's fall, the company's share price gains over the last five years are actually reasonably similar. What can I say? Which is kind of funny, well, right? Well, 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 I think that you know that there's that's that's what I call an exa- example of exuberance, right? So people, well, that, are, and that's almost what I mean. It's it's yeah. you know the expectation of the market versus the underlying businesses themselves. Yeah. Two very very different businesses doing things very very differently, with with similar you know similar kind of long term performance. Now, if we've done the numbers, a four year chart. A year ago, <laughs> then Webjet looked like it was a genius. Now all of a sudden, it's underperforming booking. It, it it very much maybe it's a bit of a tortoise in the hair kind of story. Yeah, like I, I think in my mind, I guess the other way to think about this is to I think we underweight. You know, when the share price is going up, we mm-hmm. underweight uh, the risks, right? So we underweight yes, the fact absolutely. that cash there's less cash on the balance sheet. Yeah. Like I mean, if a balance sheet has two billion dollars of cash versus has twenty million dollars of cash, yeah, it doesn't matter what the market cap of the company is. It matters that twenty million is just riskier. I yeah. mean, twenty million is mom and pop store level cash, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think we, there's this tendency to underweight things, mm-hmm. um, and and we tend to, the tendency to underweight things during good times is very high. Yeah. Um, that's absolutely true. So, so I think that's that's really what happens, and that's you know might have been the divergent reason for divergence. But anyways. Very good, mate. We've got one last question. One time for one more question. And I like this one largely because of the hashtag. So stick with me. This one's from Jeremy. Uh, I quite like this uh, this question because it's a nice way to do it. Uh, talk about different, same topic, a different way. 
Jeremy says, I've got a question for the podcast. Here's a new acronym for the pod, FNOP. First name only, please. <laughs> We've done that, Jeremy. You're welcome. I have been keenly following all your foolish thoughts through these interesting times, and I've greatly appreciated the weekly episodes and the occasional surprise mailbag. There you go, Jeremy. You're welcome. See, Doc, I told you. Special. <laughs> all right. He says, um, with that out of the way, I find the idea of short selling unappealing. But if I'm planning to hold my stocks for the long term, can I take advantage of any short sellers out there and get paid for simply holding my shares? I'm talking about securities lending. What are your thoughts on the opposite of a short position? Have you two had any experience with this and do you know how to get involved with it as a retail investor? Thanks, gents. Jeremy, hashtag get doc on MySpace. <laughs> Is MySpace still out there? I have no idea, but that's the best Did you hashtag. ever have a MySpace account? No. I had a MySpace account for a very short period of time. I don't actually think I used it. I think I signed up because I think I, people were doing it. I probably should and mm. I'm pretty sure I didn't use it. There you go. Get Doc on MySpace. Um, I like that. I love that. So, Doc, we talk a lot about short selling. Now, for those who are coming in late, um, short selling is profiting when the share price falls. And the way you do it is you actually borrow someone else's shares and then sell them and promise to give them the shares back later. And you do that by buying the shares back, hopefully when they've fallen. So let's say that uh, Doc and Scott Enterprise is selling 100 bucks a share and you think it's a terrible business and maybe it is, let's let's be honest, it's possible. And uh, so you say, look, you, you own shares of Doc, Doc and Scott Enterprise, so I borrow them from you and I pay you to borrow them. I say, here's some, here's some cash. I'll borrow your shares and I go and sell them. You don't really necessarily know or care, but they're gone. And then they fall to 10 bucks and I go, beauty. And I buy them back for 10 bucks. I give you back the shares and I pocket the $90 I made by borrowing the 100 and effectively you know, selling the 100 and buying back at 10. That's how I do it, right? I sell the shares out, from, get 100 bucks in my pocket, buy them back at 10, I get the 90 bucks profit I made. Seems simple, frankly, very difficult and I have my issues with short selling generally, uh, which I've talked about before and got absolutely flamed on social media for doing so, but there you go, I'm okay with that. But Jeremy's saying, well, hang on, I'm not, I don't like short selling, but if someone's gonna pay to borrow shares, well, I'd like them to pay me, thank you. Do you have any experience with that? Um, no, so uh, like my so my brokerage platform, I think does not, or the ones that I use, it does not have that functionality. Yeah, I think certain brokerage pl platforms have that functionality um, where you can lend them out. I think you if or you allow them to lend it out, <laughs> and uh, in return you make some money. Uh, like I'd be fine. I mean, like, like I'm not fine. I mean, I don't have a problem with that as long yeah. as I mean I'm getting paid for it. Um, See, I mean, yeah, you're indirectly helping the short cause, but yep, yep, yep. like you know, most of these things, you know, uh, you know, no cause can, you know, a cause can have temporary effects mm. and it can have real temporary effects on share price, right? Yep, Whether yep. it's a long cause or a short cause and whatever, it, however it is, but it's hard to, you know, maybe there's an odd case where it can, you know, mm -hmm. uh, material materialize into something real and then, you know, cause an impact on the either side. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like I mean, if I could, I would not mind actually. Yeah, so I think, but I, I don't have the facility to do it in in at least the brokerage accounts that I have. Yeah, I'm exactly the same, mate. I can't do it with mine either. I have, I, I mean, I'm kind of tall on this one, right? Like the the guy, the, the investor that just wants to make money would have no problem doing it. Um, at some at some moral level, I can't be critical of short, of short selling and argue for it to be finished and then profit from doing so. It's a bit <laughs> it's a bit two faced. That being said, 
Um, it might be hypocritical, but it's probably not the worst thing in the world. Uh, certainly, I've, I've bagged Telstra while owning the shares. I've certainly bagged ethical investing while owning Australian Ethical. So I kind of I'm okay with having a different view as a as a commentator and an investor. Um, uh, some would say that was self defeating. It maybe it is. Um, interactive brokers is the one I do know that has uh, got it, and they, I, I love it. I'm always I'm always a bit scared of euphemisms, mate. So the IB lending thing is called a stock yield enhancement program. Which, which sounds pretty good, right? I love that name. <laughs> it's me, awesome. <laughs> so let me let me. I'm actually just read the. You can Google this, but I'm not gonna not gonna read a whole lot of it. But just give you a sense of it. So really good question, Jeremy. Here's the answer that um, of the stock yield enhancement program at IB. I should. I'm not a shareholder of IB. I have no account with them. Um, the Motley Food uses them as their broker. So to fully disclose that, although we get we don't we don't promote them. We don't get anything paid for promoting them. We don't get a, a discount for doing so. But just to be completely transparent. IB says our stock yield enhancement program allows you to lend your. Sh- I'm, I'm going to summarize this because a lot of a lot of um, a lot of jargon allows you to lend your shares in exchange for cash collateral. IB will lend the borrowed shares to traders who want to sell them short and are willing to pay a fee to borrow them. Each day your stock is on loan, you'll be paid a loan fee based on market rates. You share a percentage of this with IB. Brackets currently fifty percent. That's a fair whack, isn't it? As a fee for managing the program, uh, blah blah blah, uh, blah blah. That's pretty much the story. I'm just reading through quickly. Yeah, look, that that's about it. So, um, yeah, look, you can. Um, I would uh, stocks it. I know I'm going to hold forever, or at least I don't care about selling anytime soon, as long as I have no particular cash needs. The only thing is, if you lend them out, you obviously can't then redeem them straight away, or I suppose you can't redeem them straight away. Um, so I I would actually have no issue. Doing that, in fact, I probably should. Well, the broker doesn't allow it. I probably wouldn't bother changing brokers for the sake of it. But getting paid to hold shares that you're never going to sell anyway is a pretty, it's a pretty good deal, right? As long as you know you're not going to sell those shares. Um, of course, the reality is, if people want to borrow the shares, then almost by definition, they're probably going to come under share some share price pressure. Um, and so you want to be careful. You don't feel like you are forced to or want to sell the shares at some other point after the shorters have been successful. I guess at least you made some money on the way through. Any more thoughts on that one, Doc? No, I have nothing. I like that idea, Jeremy. Um, I wouldn't change brokers for it. It's not a lot of money, particularly right now with the interest rates being so low. Look, it's something for nothing, right? You might as well. I just, I would, I wouldn't bother changing brokers. Well, does fifty percent actually put me off? It's that's a that's like I mean, how much are you going to really get? <laughs> exactly, it's it's going to be really low. Like actually, I mean, it's a couple of percent max, right? Maybe one percent, something like that. Oh, it's probably going to be less. Well, yeah, on, on in your pocket, it's probably going to be less than that, right? Yeah, if it's one yeah. percent, yeah, yeah. you're going to get half. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's something for nothing. It's, if you were already with IB. Then hey, why not, right? Because yeah. better that than getting nothing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't chase it for the sake of it. But good, good thought, Jeremy, and a great way to think about mm. it. It can pay for your brokerage fees. <laughs> it can pay for your brokerage fees. <laughs> That'll do us for this special Sunday mailbag edition. See, Jeremy knew it was special. Like you laugh about me saying it's a special. It's not special anymore. I mean, Jeremy it's special, said- special, but not that kind of special. Jer- <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a. I think you have any go at me. It's special, but not special. Not that special. I'm moving on. All right, that does wrap us up. But before we go, don't forget you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app or Podcast One. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. Five stars would be appreciated. Go to iTunes, tell your friends, tell everybody, post it on social media. Post it on your MySpace account. Everyone with a MySpace account, jump on MySpace right now. Hashtag get doc on MySpace. And tell your friends, your, your MySpace friends. I don't know how many MySpace friends people still got, but if there's some out there, if you're on MySpace, you're probably listening to the Motley Fool Money podcast and that's a shame. So if you're on MySpace, help your friends. If you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, if you're on TikTok, if you're on... What else is there, Doc? Is that it now? Pin if you're on, if you're, on, if you're on If you're on Tinder, 
Put it on your put it on your Tinder profile. Pinterest, I think. Pinterest, that could work. Pin, Pinterest, pin. Is, how is that called? Pinterest, Pinterest. Pinterest yeah, no idea. Yeah, spell that name. Um, I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking if you're on Tinder, that's a really good way to attract a mate. Okay, well, put if, it on. If, if the opposite just, sex knows you're looking yeah, motley for money, they're going to be like, it. "I'm I'm catching up with that dude or that girl." That's gonna it's gonna be work for you. Trust me. We should go move on, shouldn't we? I think so. Okay, okay. Uh, don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness too, straight to your inbox and some of our marketing offers by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money special. Thank you, Doc. <laughs> Mailbag edition. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.